So it's a tall man with a beard, maybe a plaid shirt. Stu Wayman, he's floating around here. If you have questions about camp and the work weekends, just talk to Stu. And, and on June 2nd, we talked about this, the men's executive and my, me, about just inviting the men from Grace to come with me June 2nd up to camp that weekend, and I'm going to bring my sons, and we're going to just work and serve. And whatever's left on the list that didn't get done these weekends in May, we're going to, as Grace men, kind of tackle and hopefully get it done so that the camp is ready to do ministry. So I invite you up there with me and bring your, your sons and grandsons, whatever, and let's, let's really serve the Lord up there. So uh, first weekend of June, we're going to be up there in the... Um, Actually, the kind of the second part of this sermon will be up there on that weekend. So when we talk about Barnabas, and so just so you, so you know, um, would you bow with me in prayer as we uh, continue to worship together? Lord, we thank you for this day and for your faithfulness through our lives, even this past week. Thank you for great weather, for soccer, for the many families on the field there that we can reach out to and connect with in our community. Thank you for all the coaches and volunteers that make that possible. Thank you for the service that was held here on Friday and celebrating the graduation of a saint to the glory and for the life group that supported the family. And just to see your body at work, Lord, we give you praise. Thank you just for the camp and its ministry and the many lives who have been affected for eternity because of the, the gospel, for the many young men and women that have been trained for ministry up there, for for the many lives that have just encountered you in, in the beauty of your creation, Lord, we give you thanks and we pray for your, for your blessing upon that ministry this summer. Lord, we pray for our church as we seek to follow you, that you would guide us. And this morning as we come to your word, just guide our hearts and our minds to focus on Jesus together. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you encounter the risen Christ, it should change your life. You shouldn't be the same. You should be different. You should, it should totally alter the, the whole course of, of your life and the way you're moving. And this is the pattern we see in the, in the Bible. I read a story about a guy named uh, Sadhu Sindar Singh. He lived from 1889 to 1929. and He was a young Sikh man in India that was vehemently opposed to Christianity and was antagonistic and oppositional, seeking to shut it down. And then he himself encountered Christ and the truth about Christ and, and, and committed and, and dedicated, believed in Jesus Christ, and it, it changed him forever. His family thought it was just a passing fancy, but then realized he was serious about it, so they actually poisoned him. He went away, ended up at the, the doorstep of a pastor's house, was brought in, and the doctors basically, yeah, you're going to die. And in the midst of that um, period, he... Uh, he began to pray. And he said, uh, as he lay there, there came to him the profound belief that God had not called him out of darkness to die without witnessing to his faith in Christ. So he began to pray with all his remaining powers. He recovered and launched out on a life of witness. Donning the garb of an Indian holy man, he traveled the length and breadth of India barefoot, preaching the gospel. This earned him the name, the Apostle of the Bleeding Feet. For his feet, unprotected from the hostile elements, sometimes bled. His realization as he lay dying was that he was saved to tell others the gospel. That's why he was saved. And so as we come to the, gospel, the, the book of Acts today, this morning in the Bible, we encounter a man who, we discover a man who encountered the risen Christ, Paul or Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9, verse 18 is where we're going to start. Saul, of course, was this 
rabbi and a Pharisee who was a committed Jew. And he, as he watched this movement of disciples of Jesus growing, he, he was concerned because it really threatened the Jewish way of life. And so Saul was committed to stamping out the way, this new way of following Jesus that all these Jews were getting into. He hated it. He, he would get these people, he would throw them in prison. He sat there and watched them stone Stephen to death and he supported it and encouraged it. And he's on his way to Damascus because the movement's spreading and he wants to stop it before it gets out of hand. And so he's on his way to Damascus and on the road, he encounters the risen Christ. The one who had been crucified and who rose from the grave is there in front of him of course, Saul doesn't realize this, and you know, he's, you know, he's like this light, and he's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? It's obviously God speaking to him, and he's like, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And his life goes into this tailspin. What he expected was not what he discovered. He's blind. He goes into Damascus three days later, and an eye shows up, prays over him, and, and this is what we find in verse 17. Ananias puts his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came here has sent me so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, his strength returned. He connected with God. He had this encounter with Jesus. He now is in this relationship with God. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. He is a new man says that for several days, end of verse 19, he was with the disciples in Damascus. He connected with other believers, with one another. The fellowship. You, you, come, into, you come to believe Jesus Christ, well, you also enter into this family of, of, of other fellow brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 20 that he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, this man is the Son of God. He connects with his community. So our mission statement is biblical. It's modeled here in the book of Acts with the conversion of Saul as he encounters Jesus Christ. What happened to Saul was significant. He had his own life mission. He was going to be the best Jew that he could be. The most devoted student of the Old Testament, what we, what we call the Old Testament, the Jews call you know, the, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. He was going to be morally pure. He obeyed the law to the letter of the law. And he was going to stop anything that hindered or impeached upon the Jewish way of life and the Jewish faith. And suddenly, encountering Jesus Christ, everything changes. He is not on that mission anymore. Why? Well, because of who Jesus is. He says, Jesus is the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then he's God. And if he's God, then what he says is binding requires our obedience, must be followed. And so he surrenders his agendas and, and all of his, his credentials and, and he, he embraces the, the life of following Jesus Christ. He's on a new mission. When you encounter the risen Christ, it is a crossroads. You encounter Jesus. You're like, man, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. So everything Jesus said and did must be true and right and, and, and must be obeyed. And so, so my life can't be the same any longer got a new mission. You see, this turning point, we, we, we often use this word in the Bible called repentance. And sometimes, you know, we think of the word repentance as kind of being sad about sin, right? It's like, you know, when I catch, 
you know, my kid's doing something wrong, and, and they're sad because they know there's consequences for being caught, and they're, they're oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, and, and they're really just sorry because they know that the consequence is coming, right, and, and they're not really sorry that they did it, right, and I've been there myself as a child, right, and, but, but true repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart which leads to a change of action. How do we know that Saul of Tarsus truly repented? Well, because he suddenly, he receives the Holy Spirit he spends time with the disciples, and then immediately he's out there telling people, guess what? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's telling them what he has known to be true. He is on a new mission. He's on Jesus' mission. Maybe the challenge for some of us, we kind of want to just keep going our path but have Jesus join us in the mission. <laughs> well, Jesus, I have a good direction for my life already. Why don't you just join me, get in my boat, get in my car, and, and take my right. You know, and Jesus is like, no, no, I have a plan for your life. And I am God. In fact, I'm the creator. I have the prerogative, actually, to tell you how to live your life. And, and in fact, I know what's best for your life. So if you trust me, if you believe in me, if you, if you think I am who I say I am, then, then you'll take my advice, you'll take my words, you'll take my commands, you'll take my mission. So with his conversion came this commission. And the question is, is that the same for all of us? With our conversion comes a commission. Are we, are we supposed to change our, our, our life focus because of the risen Christ? And I believe we are. I believe this example shows that, that, that your life can never be the same after you encounter the risen Christ. And you look at the results. Verse 21. All who heard him were amazed and were saying, Is this not the man who was in Jerusalem, was ravaging those who call on the name, and who had come here to bring them to prisoners, as prisoners to the chief priests? But as Saul became more and more capable and was causing consternation, it was causing consternation among the Jews who had lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. They had expected this guy to come in, to bring in the, you know, the political statements from Jerusalem, to say, hey, we need to stamp out this offensive, disgusting movement of Jesus Christ, and here I am, I've got the letters of authority, let's start knocking down doors and dragging people to prison. In fact, instead he gets up and he says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah. And they're like, wait a second, this was not what we expected, what's, what's happening here? He encountered the risen Christ. The other side of it is this. Sometimes we wonder. So I encountered Jesus Christ, and I, I believe in him. I, I repent, I, I turn away from what I used to believe and I, I embrace the full truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for me on the cross. He rose again. What about my past life? Is, is it all gone? Like All, all that I did, like, is, is there anything that's, that's redeemable in there? And, and, and it is, actually. Jesus is like, no, all that stuff was done so, so that I could use you now. So Saul of Tarsus, educated in the third most um, famous educational center of its day. I mean, there was Athens, there was Alexandria, and there was Tarsus, University City, trained in rhetoric and, and in the Jewish way of life. I mean, he had incredible credentials. Jesus is like, I can use you, Saul, for my mission. And sometimes we think, man, I'm just a tradesperson. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a mother. I'm just, there's no just in God's kingdom. God takes all of that and says, okay, bring it in here and let's see what we can do with that. If you've ever watched that movie, The Great Escape, it's that old classic, and there's all these men are in this prisoner of war camp, and they're trying to get out, and 
And they have all these different guys. Every guy, every character has a unique gift and a unique skill set. And they, they come up with this elaborate plan to dig a tunnel out of the, out of, you know, and it's, but everyone has a part. And they're all kind of coming together. Okay, well, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And, and Jesus brings in people into his kingdom. And it's kind of like, hey, get, you know, get, let's see your assets. Tell, tell me what you got to offer and I'll put you to work. He redeems our education, our training, our aptitudes, our skills. And then he, as we come to faith in him, he actually gives us divine gifts from above spiritual gifts, and then all those together, our personality, our experience, our past, our upbringing, form together to make us effective kingdom agents for him. And so you're like, I'm just a carpenter. No, you can build some great stuff for God's kingdom. I'm just an accountant. You can do some great work for Christian ministries and who need good accountants. Just a mother. Well, man, kids are, are the bedrock of the kingdom advancement. So, man, if you work with kids, you're on the front lines. You're, you're right where the heart of God is. Every one of us has something that Jesus can take and use and redeem and, and maximize for his glory. The, the difference is now we're doing it for him, not for ourselves. I'm a great businessman. I love making money. Great, make it so you can give it away. That's what Jesus says. Well, come on in. and you, I've got lots of investment opportunities for you to, to throw your money into. And, and it's funny, the guys and women that choose to do that discover that their businesses continue to flourish as they give more away. Try it sometime. I dare you. We could use some money. <laughs> Bring it in, you know. I mean, I dare you. Say, God, I'm just going to start investing in, in missions and stuff with, with no dividend that comes back to me on this earth and, and wait to see what he does. I dare you. Because this is the way it works. He takes what you had, what you were. He forgives your sin. And then he says, now we're on a new mission. And I'm going to use all of your past, all of your experiences, even, even the brokenness of your past. Yes, I can redeem that and, and help you to be an agent of of reconciliation and, and ministry to those that ha are broken and hurting. I mean, everything. When you put the risen Christ in the middle of it, it's, it suddenly it changes the whole game. And there's Saul. He's a different man. He's changed. The question is, like, does this still happen today? It does. I just found this on the Voice of the Mars website. May, 4th of May, 2017. Pastor Abraham had been threatened many times for boldly sharing his faith with Sunni Muslims who were crossing the border from Syria. But the threats toward his family were becoming increasingly frequent and more serious. For several months, he'd been dealing with mounting internal fear. He knew of no better way to combat that fear than to pray and ask the Lord for strength. One day, while working outside of his house with an electrical saw, the blade suddenly popped off and caught him in the mouth. Had the blade hit him a few inches lower, it could have severed an artery in his neck. If it had been a few inches higher, it could have blinded him. As he stood in shock for a moment, he sensed God's spirit impressing upon him. I am in control of when your life will end. Stop being scared. At that moment, Abraham's fears were calmed. In the same area where Abraham had been ministering, an ISIS fighter named Fadi was recruiting Muslims to fight for the terrorist group. When several people at the refugee camp told him about the Christian evangelist, Fadi was infuriated. The ISIS terrorists decided to personally kill Abraham. When Fadi appeared walking towards the Christian's home, Abraham was ready. The Lord had prepared the evangelist for this moment. Speak to Fatty strongly and directly. Don't be afraid, he was admonished. As Abraham began to speak the words God had put on his heart, Fatty began shaking uncontrollably. I want salvation, the convicted terrorist earnestly pleaded. Abraham assuredly told him, Jesus will forgive you of your sins. On hearing this, Fatty began to weep. The evangelist prayed with Fatty, whose life was dramatically transformed after accepting Jesus as a savior that day. Four months ago, the former terrorist was baptized at Abraham's church where he continues to meet for discipleship. The new believer has since led his wife to the Lord and is now boldly sharing his faith with others at the refugee camp. 
Can, can God still do this? Of course he can. You got that person at work that just is so antagonistic. That person in your family that just doesn't even want to hear anything about God. That friend you went to high school with or college with that just is, is not into your new fad. I mean, no one is outside the arms and the reach of God's grace. Saul is a prime example of this. And as we come to experience this, uh, what can you expect? I've experienced the risen Christ. I'm on his mission. I'm boldly sharing about Jesus. What do I expect now? Well, this is what you should expect. Opposition and persecution. <laughs> Verse 23. After some days had passed, the Jews plotted together to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot against him. They were watching the city gates day and night so they could kill him. But his disciples took him at night and led him down through an opening in the wall by lowering him in a basket. The reality is between verses 22 and 23, there's probably a three-year period. He's gone to Arabia. He's in the wilderness studying God's word, rethinking everything. He's come back to Damascus. He continues to preach, and they're like, we've got to get rid of this guy. The assassination plot is set. The guards are in place. The Christians sneak him out, out of a window, down in this basket. Saul is literally a basket case. He's going down, hits the ground, and he's on the run. You know, we would be tempted maybe to quit or quit being so controversial in our, in our testimony or our witness, but Saul doesn't care. He's on Christ's mission. You can expect some opposition and persecution. I'm not trying to freak you out, but it's reality. Christians across the world right now are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, we have reprieves here at times, but realize that when, when you kind of stand up for the risen Christ, it, it causes people to, to be a little uncomfortable, and it forces them to, to, to deal with Jesus, too. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm, yeah, I like Jesus, but as I know, no, if Jesus is the Son of God, then, then he has a supreme place of authority, and, and you have to respond in an appropriate way, and like, well, no, I like Jesus as a teacher, as a moral example, and you know, Jesus is the risen Savior, and what he says and what he is is, is true based on what the Scriptures say, and we need, to, we need to follow him, right? And so it, it causes people to get a little bit agitated, especially the Jews here in Acts 9. But not only do you feel, experience opposition, but you might experience some skepticism. See that in verse 26. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him because he did not believe he was a disciple. This guy that was ravaging the church in Jerusalem disappears. They'd heard some stories, but he hadn't been around for a number of years. He shows up again. He's like, oh, guess what? I'm now a follower of Jesus. And they're like, oh, Really? Sounds like a good way to get into the inner circle and maybe, you know, get some of us apostles killed, you know, and they're all kind of like, I don't know, Are you, is this legitimate? Is this true? You may encounter this in your own faith journey. You talk about the, the freedom you feel and forgiveness, the, the new joy you have, the direction God has in your life, and, and people might say, ah, it's not true, it's not real, that doesn't happen. And the reality is here, Saul needed the, the body of believers, and one guy stands up and is willing to kind of put his neck on the line for Saul. His name is Barnabas, verse 27. But Barnabas took Saul, brought him to the apostles, and related to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. You know, we need Barnabases in our churches today. Men and women who are willing to kind of put their neck out for others. We're going to reach out to the people that maybe who have passed the, a past life that's a little, little sketchy and, and just say, you know what, they've experienced the risen Christ, and so we need to bring them into the fold. I mean, we, let's face it, there's skeletons in, in lots of closets in this room. But because of Jesus Christ, I mean, he neutralizes all that. 
He forgives all that. He restores all that. And we need people that are willing to kind of step into the gap and, and, and intercede and mediate for those that, that encounter the risen Christ. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Barnabas puts his name, look, look, I've heard his testimony. I can vouch for this guy. He's been speaking about Jesus in Damascus. If he wasn't a follower, why would he do that? And it says, verse 28, he was staying with them associating openly with them in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. He was speaking and debating with the Greek-speaking Jews, but they were trying to kill him. I mean, he's just too good, Saul. All that education, all that training, I mean, he's just tying people in knots. Like, we've got to kill this guy. So the Christian's like, wait a second, this guy's a valuable asset. We need, to, we need to take care of him. And so it says in verse 30, when the brothers found out about this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So I'll go back home. And grow in your faith. These are the silent years. They figure Saul was there for eight to ten years. Until Barnabas called him again. Say, hey, Saul, I got a mission. I need your help with it. And, and Saul becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles. But this is his period of training. And some of you are in your period of training. You're like, man, I wish I could do more significant things and you know, be more engaged. And, you know, and, and it's like, God's like, I'm just nurturing you. Don't worry. You moms, you got little kids, you think, oh man, I can't do enough ministry because I'm just stuck with, you know, I got, you're doing significant ministry. Some, I know some seniors, you're like, I can't do the things I used to do. You got a ministry, and some of them are doing prayer, some of them are, are reaching out to other seniors with the gospel. I mean, every one of us has a place to fit. And some of us are in that season of, of training where, where God just wants to nurture you. You need to be humble, you need to receive. The direction and, and the ministry of the, of the church as you grow in your own faith. You need to start at the bottom and just be, you know, do the menial stuff and allow God to kind of move you up and, and to, 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 you know, to train you. I mean, that's, that's his process. He wants us to, to serve first and then to move into leadership and as, as he matures us. And, and this is how it worked with Saul. And look what happens in verse 31 to the church. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced peace. And thus was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. The church increased in numbers. What he had told them back in the beginning of Acts, Jesus, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a partial fulfillment. The church is growing. It's, it's growing in the city of Jerusalem. It's growing in the, the region of Judea. It's growing in the, the, the region of, of, of Galilee and of Samaria. But the, the next step is coming in the book of Acts. What's next? Well, it's... It's outside the Jewish walls. I mean, the Samaritans were, were kind of half Jew, half not Jew, and, and Galilee were kind of, you know, kind of in the fringes of Judaistic society, and Judah was the, you know, Judea was the area of the Jews, and Jerusalem was the city of the Jews, and, and so this, this movement is growing, but now it's waiting for the next step. You'll notice that, again, the, the picture of our church mission statement is here. They're living in the fear of the Lord. They're connected to God. The fear of God is the obedience to his word and, and living it out practically. They're, they're living in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when believers get together. The, the Holy Spirit unites us, guides us to the truth together. We serve one another in love. It all happens within the body of Christ connected to one another. And then the church increased in numbers. Those from the outside are hearing and are witnessing this, and they too are encountering the risen Christ in their own life through the testimony of the church, and it's growing. The church is a living organism. And it's been growing ever since. Even in countries that are difficult, the church continues to grow. I'm reading this book about the missionaries in China in the end of the 18th and beginning of the 19th century. The, you know, they, they came in there and they 
under difficult circumstances, preached the gospel, beaten up, abused, you know, but they, you know, and the, the church begins, and then those Chinese believers sacrificially just poured out their lives, and, and, and the gospel begins to spread throughout China. And then, of course, you know, the major boxer rebellion, and all the missionaries are kicked out, and, and of course, us Western Christians are like, oh no, China is, is, the church of China is dead because the missionaries are gone. Oh no, what's going to happen? And, and then as, as China, you know, years later begins to open up, they discover that there's this thriving church in China. House church and church movements. And you're like, well, what happened? Well, who, who did that? The Holy Spirit and the risen Christ grew the church in China. It's a living organism. And as we connect with God the risen Christ, as we connect with one another as the body, and as we engage in the mission and connect with our community, the church continues to grow. God has called us to grow the church. God has called us to reach out to any place that there are people that do not know Jesus and tell them that there is truth, there is life, there is love, there is forgiveness in the risen Christ. So what happens to people that encounter the risen Christ? They get on his mission and they begin to tell others about the risen Christ. And as those people come to know the risen Christ, they get on his mission and tell others about the risen Christ. And it just keeps spreading like that. We're here today because these men and women of the early church were courageous and shared the risen Christ with others. And that's our privilege. And so here we are at communion. The fulcrum of all of history is the cross, where the price for sin was paid once and for all by Jesus Christ. And we as a church celebrate this every month. If you're a guest here, just understand this is kind of one of our rituals. We're commanded by Jesus to do this. That's why we do it. So that we remember. We don't forget. It's like why we have Remembrance Day. We don't want to forget about the wars. We don't want to forget about Jesus. On the cross, he paid the full price for our sins. He, the Son of God, died in our place. His blood was shed. He was a complete sacrifice and offering for sin. And as we eat a little piece of bread and drink a little cup of juice, we remember Jesus Christ, our Savior.